Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And today we've got, uh, I mean, just the... <laughs> It's another one of those the world's terrible kind of weeks. Uh, there's a lot going on. Hopefully everyone, um, who, you know, within the sound of our voices is safe and okay after Laura and with everything going on in um, the wildfires out in California and everything happening in Kenosha and, you know, around the country with the various protests that, that have been happening. Hopefully everyone is safe. Hopefully everyone is as well as they can be. Um we we have some very interesting TV we're going to talk about, but it is uh, a lot of it is very challenging and very difficult. So if this is not a great week for you to take on some thoughtful and beautiful but difficult TV, maybe hold off on this one. What do you think? What do you think, Noel? <laughs> I think considering that we're discussing book three of infinity train, which is difficult and challenging in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking a little bit about the vows first episode. Um, but mainly we're ending our week with, um, the first season of I may destroy you. Um, yeah, maybe not the best episode for you to listen to right now, <laughs> but I'm also going to talk about an anime about a guy with a big lizard head. So, I mean, there's a little something for everyone here. I'm I'm going to talk about reality TV that is, some of it is great and some of it is fun and some of it is really dumb. So, like, there's, there is a spectrum. Uh, just, you know, we'll give some, we'll give some trigger warnings when we get to certain topics. Uh, yeah. but it's, yeah, there's some challenging stuff going on in, in the, the show this week. Some, some really thoughtful TV, um, that I'm excited that we get to talk about. And like you said, the big one is I May Destroy You, which is Michaela Cole's show. Uh, it was co-production of BBC and uh, HBO. They just finished airing the first season. Has it been renewed for a second season? Is it intent? I mean, it's very complete. It finishes and you're like, that's the end of the story. Um, at the end of the first season, but who knows? To the best of my knowledge, there was not a second season happening. It has not been renewed for a second season or anything. So yeah, I can't imagine that there is one. I don't want there to be one, but who knows? <laughs> who knows, right? And I feel like that at a certain point, that's down to Michaela Cole. And does she have another story to tell with these characters? Right. Um, so we'll see. But uh, that that's coming at the end of the show. We, there's a bit of news we wanted to touch on here at the top of the show. Uh, first of all, because we were talking about cancellations last week, but we forgot to mention that Patriot Act uh, was canceled by Netflix um, going into, I think, the, the after season seven? Um. I don't remember like what volume volume they were on. Um, the last one I have listed here from June of uh, the, this year was season eight, uh, six, episode eight. Why doing taxes is so hard, which right. I immediately want to watch. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a good episode. Um, they get into they get into a number of different things in that episode. It's really good. Um, it's also one of the episodes he did from his house. I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was calling it Patriot Act, but it's Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj, so I should yeah. specify that. It's a big part of why the show's cancellation. Yes, Netflix likes to renew, sh- pick up or, you know, create shows, pay for shows, and then cancel them too soon. It's a thing that they do. We've talked, we've joked about it, but, like, really? Really? You're going to get rid of the show now? Yeah. 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious about all the reasons why. I'm legitimately curious about the reasons why for this cancellation. If it's they weren't happy with what it looked like from his house and they didn't want to continue doing it due to the pandemic, or if they just kind of went, eh, we still haven't really figured out a week-to-week thing. Like, we just don't mm-hmm. get it. Um, it doesn't fit, even though we air a number of uh, Korean and Japanese dramas week to week mm-hmm. without a problem, and we don't seem to mind that. So there's a. I'm really curious about the reasons why for this. Um, the timing for it is, I think, I agree with you, is just bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so because Minaj offers really, Minaj and his team offer a really great perspective on things. And I really like the humor that they bring to their sort of Ted talk esque, as they've joked about um, PowerPoint slides and everything. Um, but yeah, I'm really going to miss this show. I've, I actively enjoyed it and found it really interesting. And I don't know what more you need to keep a show going than the fact that it got him to testify in front of Congress. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> By the way, I say six seasons, but it's had 40 episodes total. So, yeah. like, yes, six seasons, but, like, six episodes in this season and eight episodes in that season. So um, I was very surprised it was already on season six. Now it's because it hasn't been one a year. It's been, like, you know, different chapters, sort of. Yeah, it's production cycles type things with this. Yeah. So, yeah, I am certainly uh, more curious to go back and check out some of these other episodes now, which is stupid, but now that's like, oh, they aren't making more. Oh, I should probably, I should have been watching those. I should probably it's, go back. Listeners, it's Kate's fault. Send fault. all your ang- Individually. angry, yeah. angry things to Kate. Yeah, I did it. Me personally. Um, so, so yeah, we'll see if, you know, this is something that he, you know, wants to just do another show in this vein. You know, we've seen, uh, certain hosts like W. Kamau Bell is one that comes to mind who have who are comedians but also have done several different like similar political mm-hmm. comedy shows or documentary shows. Um, I'm curious what he's going to want to do next if it'll be similar or completely different. But definitely it is a loss in our you know the various late night shows and it's like are they gonna is Netflix gonna give up on this now because they already like created with or, or allowed to create a really interesting show with Michelle Wolf, which then they yes. took off the air. And then now this one as well, or are they just going to give up on that space? Um, Cause it's a shame. Yeah. And I feel like they probably are. Cause they also have like, I don't even know if Chelsea Handler's Netflix show is still running. Yeah. Um, I don't think it is, but I honestly don't know, which doesn't bode well either way. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. I feel like that they don't know if it fits with their model, but they keep trying to do it anyway. And I feel like at some point you just have to stop. Yeah. It doesn't fit with their model. It definitely doesn't fit with their model. So yeah. Even though again, they're happy to do it with shows that they import on a week to week basis. Um, So I'm really, it just, it's weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other bit of news, uh, which isn't actually news, it's just something that was going on Twitter a bit that I wanted to mention was that uh, Jazeek Nicole, who, of course, we really enjoyed on uh, well, Fringe. You, you enjoy. I haven't seen Fringe. You haven't seen Fringe? I haven't oh, seen Fringe. Oh, sorry. I, I apologize. No, yeah. I didn't know this. Jazeek yeah. who I really enjoy from Fringe, yeah. and when she pops up other places, I always really enjoy her. Um, 
uh, was has been talking about apparently for years um, the microaggression on Fringe of Astrid uh, being constantly misnamed by Walter and you know how that starts out you know as a sign of his cognitive uh, struggles right how he's not quite all there and you know as as he stabilizes she she figured that that would be something that then he would start getting her name right and it would show that he was doing better. But that never happened, and it just became a joke that he can never remember her name. He can remember all of these different things. He can remember every other character's name, but the only black woman on the show can't remember her name. And so just there was a a little sort of ripple through my um, Twitter uh, bubble as different people were talking about this and sharing things that she said um, about this. And also some of her experiences on the set working with piece of shit directors and producers um and some she did mention getting support from joshua jackson and uh you know when directors would just like bark out hey you instead of learning her name uh producer first wouldn't um get her a ride to set even though the rest of the cast got rides to set so she had to ride the subway um to get to to where they would film and everything um so yeah she, she she's talked about some of her other experiences uh you know being a black woman on that in that cast and on that show as much as she did love the show you know happy for a job but she didn't feel like she could you know speak up for herself it wasn't safe for her job to to say anything at the time um so so there's behind the scene and on and, and on the screen kind of discussion there but it was really interesting i'll put a link in the show in the show notes uh if you want to check it out because that is something that never occurred as a, as a white woman that is a thing that never occurred to me as a is a like a racial element to the interaction of mm-hmm. that you know like the, these this microaggression and this thing that is you know that that he can remember everybody else's name but and they're like oh see it's just a joke isn't it funny it's like no no it's a to, to this character, it sh- it wouldn't be funny. It shouldn't be funny. To this actor, it wasn't funny. But nobody else seemed to have a problem with it. At least in the writers' room, they thought it was endearing, rather than you know dehumanizing and dispiriting that this character, this brilliant scientist character, like his main aide and support person who is there throughout the entire series helping him, can't he doesn't bother to learn her name. Um, or there's like some sort of a d- disconnect there. So I, I thought that was a really interesting conversation and one that I had missed previously, but that I was uh, glad to have pointed out to me and I will certainly be more aware of in the future. Uh, did you catch any of this? Was this going on in your, in your Twitter bubble or no? I didn't see this until I uh, saw it in our rundown notes. So yeah, uh, it sounded like I read the thread while you were just talking just now. So I knew what you were talking about. Um <laughs> It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, all of it is real bad. Um, particularly, like, the fact that some directors just refuse to learn her name, which... That's how is that a thing you can do works. in a workplace, you know? Yeah, that's... There's only so many people on the call list. <laughs> yeah, so that's all real bad. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just bad and wrong. Yeah. So... And we'd say, oh, it's just a joke. It's like, yeah, it's a joke that Walter can't learn Astrid's name. But, you know, that hits differently when the actual director isn't learning the actor's name, too, you know? Exactly. Um, Out of curiosity, um, was that role um, blindcasted? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I know that Nicole's 
you know, I really like her in it. I think she's great. Mm-hmm. She never gets enough to do. Like, you, and this is something that if you read through the thread, you can see some people commenting back to it and saying, like, yeah, you were so great at Bridge. I kept waiting for them to give you something. Like, this will be the season where she gets stuff to do. And then it just never happens. Um, but she is very good. Um, she is very good with what she does get to do. I actually really like Fringe, and um, it has lived very well. Actually, probably grown in my estimation in my memory since I stopped watching it. I had some issues with the very end of the show, um, like the finale and some of the decisions there. But uh, but I, it would be one that I would be very curious to go back and like re-examine with just a little bit of distance. It's one that I feel like is overlooked when people are talking about compelling and very interesting um uh, genre sci-fi shows, especially network sci-fi mm-hmm. shows uh, of the, like the two thousands. Um, so, so it's one that I certainly I have the DVDs. I don't have the DVDs of many shows from yeah. that time, and I have at least three box sets for Fringe. Um, we have two sets of volume three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, seasons three or four, um, because my partner was just like, I'm, "We're gonna, we're gonna watch Fringe. How have you not watched Fringe? Um, I'm gonna buy the sets I don't think I have." And then she bought. She only has sets. I want to say one and three for some reason, mm-hmm. and then she bought a second thing of of number three by accident, thinking she didn't have have it. Um, so it's just, we haven't gotten around to it yet because we still haven't bought it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is one of those things that we'll have to do as, as the, the list of shows get, get shorter. Maybe we'll start doing a segment where we just like catch up with one or two shows, one episode a week. Well, that's probably what we're going to have to do is our own like Televerse specific streaming in place. Um, <laughs> but also like Fringe isn't streaming anywhere, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so like you either have to, you have to buy it basically, um, either like digitally or physical. I don't think it's streaming on Hulu or anything. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, listeners, if you have uh, any inside scoop on that, if, if it's yeah. if it's about to come to streaming, we, we willed Cora into being, right? All the Avatar yes, fans willed Cora into accessibility. Maybe we can will Fringe into accessibility as well. That would be lovely. Maybe. So anyway, the thread from Jessica Nicole will be in the show notes. Um, I got to, she was at uh, Clexicon the year that we went. Um, oh, was she? Okay. Yeah. And I got to see a little bit of her talking. Um, really smart, uh, creative. She also, I think, is a director and and filmmaker as well, and a writer. Um, so so I'm you know always curious to see what she's she's doing, and I hopefully will get to see her more on my TV. I d- I'm I, I'm not enough of a fan to watch The Good Doctor for her, but pretty much anything else, <laughs> I will. I mean, seek out if she's in it. Get that good medical procedural broadcast money. I just don't trust them to not do magic autism with the good doctor. Which yeah, is why no, I haven't I'm, watched it. But. I'm I'm sure they probably do, and it's it's yeah. Well, anyways, okay. yeah. yeah, that's a conversation for another time. So may, maybe y'all are good doctor stands, and you can like assuage my fears, and then I can watch it for her because I know she has a pretty significant character, at least for part of the run. But anyways, that uh, 
that will wrap up our news here at the top. There is plenty more, but a lot of it is real world and depressing. So instead, we are going to talk about all sorts of other TV, and we're going to kick off our week in TV with a little bit of music, um, which is actually a first time, I think, this is actually a poem, a spoken spoken word poem, uh, White is on the Moon by Gil Scott Heron, which is featured in this week's episode of Lovecraft Country, appropriately titled White is on the Moon. Um, so we're going to listen to a little bit of that, and then we'll be right back with our week in TV. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just off my rent last night because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me because Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. That was Whitey's on the Moon by Gil Scott Heron. And this week in TV... Uh, we're going to be talking about The Vow, which is a HBO uh, docuseries about Nexium. Episode one, The Science of Joy, uh, aired this week. It's nine episodes long, and I think they're doing one episode a week. So we'll have thoughts on that. Uh, then I'll talk briefly something completely different. RuPaul's Drag Race Vegas Review, Baby We Made It, which is the premiere. And I'll have a couple thoughts about the uh, second episode as well. Then I caught up with Glow Up, seasons one and two, which is a makeup artist reality show. Um, that is currently available on Netflix, but is a, I want to say BBC show. It might be Channel 4. I think it's BBC, though. Um, and then Noel will have some thoughts on Dora Hidoro, uh, season one, episodes one to three. Then we'll both talk Lovecraft Country, White is in the Moon, and we'll round things up with Infinity Train, uh, book three, Cult of the Conductor. This week we had the Origami Car and the New Apex, and I've caught up with the rest of the season as well. So, uh... Oh, just a little bit of, of a warning here at the top. The first show is about that we're going to talk about is The Vow, which is a docuseries about um, Nexium. And if people don't know what that is, it is a I'm going to go with cult, for lack of a better word, that people got um, sucked into uh, that has been fortunately taken uh, taken down, at least to some extent. The, the people who are in charge have been have been prosecuted for fraud and abuse. Um, it's another challenging story about uh, about just exploitation and abuse, uh, spe- specifically of women, um, but of all sorts of people. So if you do not want to hear about that, then feel free to skip ahead. I will have timestamps in the show notes so that you can head over to listen to me talk about Drag Race in Vegas, which is the next show. And again, totally very different. So this first episode of The Vow, though, is... I've seen I've seen people talking about this show on, on Twitter, and they are much more positive about it than I am on this first episode. So that has me encouraged. And because of that, I'm going to keep watching it. Because I didn't actually think this first episode was all that great. They structure their first episode as, let's explain to you why Nexium would be appealing to people and what about yes. it would draw you in. And I understand that, con- like, it makes sense, but this episode is way too long and 
if you need to cut your episode off, like if you want your first episode to just be like, to end on the note of, we thought we were doing all this good stuff. There's a CD underbelly. Something else is happening. Then it needs, needed to be a lot shorter. The notion of nine episodes, nine hour long episodes of this. Uh, yeah, I'm not excited. I'm not excited. But people that whose opinion I trust and respect really appreciated this whole this docuseries. They say it starts slow and then it picks up. So I'm keeping things crossed because I thought that this first episode, The Science of Joy, while it does good groundwork for showing how you could get sucked into something like this, it doesn't seem culty. Um, it does this good work doing that. It just that it just feels a little heavy-handed and uh, ind- indulgent, and like how it's spending its time, uh, like the shots of you know our heroes standing in a field, and the camera swoops around them to show they're going to take on this big. You know, they're on their own, but they're going to take it down. Kind of a th- like there's there's a bit of um, setting these guys up to be our our heroes a little bit, which I feel like is, is trying a little, it felt a little heavy handed. Yeah. I I do think that there's a weird kind of slightly try hardness about this first episode. Um, that is all sorts of squishy. Like I have my own issues with like Mark Vicente as a filmmaker. Um, what the bleep do we know is a weird piece of filmmaking that I'm not particularly keen on. Um, there's a lot of pseudoscience nonsense in there um, that shouldn't be in that conversation that they're talking about with quantum physics and everything. But that's neither here nor there, really, when you're dealing with this. Oh, we should say that Mark Vincente is one of the two main people, along with Sarah Edmondson, who are interviewed as former Nexium members. Yes. Um, and then Vicente's wife, Bonnie um, Pisse? Pisse? PC, P-I-E-S-S-E, yeah. listeners. Um, yeah. P.S.? P.S. I think it's P.S. Um, I think. Um, it shows up like in the last third. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you that it feels too long. Um, but they really do want to drive home the idea, like you say, of why... Nexium was so attractive and so compelling. Um, and it's hard, and they do, it's not hard, they do a really compelling job of making that clear. Um, in particular because they just have, presumably thanks to Vicente, all this footage of the workshops, of their interactions with people at in the organization. Um, because everyone's very not calling it a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's either called the organization, it's called the company, um, but it's noticeably never called a cult, um, by either of the three, uh, former members that we talked to that guide us through this first episode, um, which is interesting. Um, so I think, again, they do a really nice job of making it appealing and sort of explaining the ways in which that the process of Nexium's whole self-improvement science, as they bill it, could be something that would just immediately draw people in. And because it doesn't necessarily have the overt cult tendencies because of how it's grounded in a science as opposed to a mysticism, um, there's a leader, but there's also a another more like public facing per- person in this case, instead of, um, 
instead of Rainier, uh, Keith Rainier, um, it's uh, Nancy Salzman, who's much more front and center, particularly in this episode. Um, so how they position everyone, I think, just really works and really drives home, like, if you're, particularly if you're a struggling actor, filmmaker, or someone within the arts industry, which a number of, all three of our um, people here are, um, that it's easy to get drawn into that if you're not necessarily being successful in that life. Um, but it also highlights how you're a target for this kind of a group as well. Um, and they even acknowledge that to a certain degree towards the end of the episode when things start ramping up. Um, but I really agree with you that it's way too long. Um, in part because they really want to lay out this idea of this idyllic, quixotic group that a found family sort of organization that just helped crystallize their life. And then we go, yeah, we're going to suddenly, everything's happening during the day. It's the afternoon. It's bright. It's light. Here's snow, darkness, and horribleness to hook you in for the second episode. And it's aggressively and ridiculously manipulative in a fictional way as opposed to a structured documentary way um, that instead of providing a way of hooking you in through laying out a narrative of the organization here, it provides you with like a true crime sort of thing as well, which feels separate from what they do for almost the entire episode, really. Um, so that, that swerve um, happens way too quickly, um, especially given that it comes on the heels of that really beautiful kind of moment of Vicente realizing he and um, his wife never had a honeymoon and how that just kind of hits him every time. But then we swerve real hard into this sudden all-be-gone-in-the-dark-esque moment that does not feel of a piece of the aesthetics that they've used up to that point. Um, so I just I did not... It was... It was frustrating that last little bit. Um, but it's also, like you said, just entirely too long. It reminded me of uh, McMillions a bit, where yeah, it was sure. like, well, these are, like, let's lay out our story. These are the plot points. This is where the episode's going to turn. So episode one has to end here. And then they then they tried to pad out some of the, you know, rather than doing like a, I don't know, like a Netflix approach where this episode is 38 minutes and this episode is 52 minutes, right? They all, you know, stretched it out to be like an hour each, right? Um, even if there wasn't necessarily an hour's worth of story. Yeah. That's how I felt about this first episode. So um, I was encouraged, like I said, when I saw in some write-ups about it, like that it gets more compelling and tighter and, you know, reading between the lines, episodes are better constructed later on in the season because nine, nine episodes is a lot. Knives is a lot of episodes. Um, but if you are curious about Nexium, if you're cu- curious about Keith Raniere, um, you can, you know, definitely seek it out. Um, you can also just seek out Behind the Bastards. Did I think it like a two or three part, you know, podcast series on Keith Raniere. That'll tell you a lot of what you need to know. Um, obviously, this is very different because they, this is more focused on people who have left Nexium and who, you know, were involved in it and now have tried to, you know, distance themselves from it and try to. I don't, you know, like, can't use, there's only so much you can do to make up for that, you know? Um, but it gives the, them a voice and certainly, um, I think it, th- this is one of the most effective, 
um, examples I've seen of how you can, how do you get sucked into yeah. something like this without realizing what it you know like how do you not see what it is? Usually, I feel like the the stories we the the um, true crime or the docu series we see about these kinds of groups just fall on the charismatic leader part of it, and that's here. Yeah, but particularly through Salzman, I think. Salzman, I mean, and also, you know, the way that they build up Ranieri on, until they, before they actually meet him. Um, but there's all, like you say, there's a lot more, like, infrastructure here than we're used to seeing. There's, like, a whole tiered system, like, MLM-style, yes. like, system of building up different locations that aren't actually connect. you know, so it's not just the one charismatic leader right. kind of thing. So it's just a lot easier to see how you can get sucked in and how particularly people with certain um, personality types and who are driven towards certain types of professions and types of work are more susceptible to this than others. I also thought it was interesting. I kept waiting for them to, to like say like, well, they it could do all this cool, this system that they did, had could do all these cool things. Like they cured me of my anxiety. That was like, the Tourette's thing. I kept thing. waiting for them yeah. To, to, yeah, the Tourette's thing. I kept waiting for them to debunk it, but then they didn't. Yeah. So it's like, does this actually work? And that, but it was just part of a larger horrible thing, or does it not work? But it was like the um, um, placebo effect. You know what I mean? Like I kept waiting, and there wasn't more clarity on that. I wonder if that's coming or not. Um, but it's interesting. It's certainly that 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 drew my attention in this first episode. Are you going to keep watching or no? Probably, yeah. Um, I'm interested for at least a couple of like whatchamacallit, a um, few more episodes um, to see what they're going to do. Um, I hate saying this, but I laugh that it took them so long to set up something in Canada, considering where they were drawing so many of their actors from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just yep. like, why did it take them so long to set up anything in Vancouver? Like, it's just right there. <laughs> um, but... I was also just like, maybe it wasn't a priority or maybe like the ability to set that up was really difficult for them on like a, just an industrial level. Um, but I was just like, this is really weird. Um, but <laughs> yes, no, I'm, I'll still watch a couple episodes, but I do agree with you that th- there's a weird lack of pushback on some of this stuff um, that I'm really curious if future episodes are going to provide. Um, particularly like a discussion of the fact that while all of their um, rational inquiry or whatever they call, um, Nexium calls their um, their process um, that is protected by non-disclosure agreements as a trade secret, which is just beautiful and wild and horrible. Um, of Can we... Is anyone going to discuss that this is just really good brainwashing? Like, what is like, what's the what is what is the end game about discussing this and contextualizing this? Is my other question based on this first episode? So I'm really curious about the change or the shift that's going to hopefully happen as a result of here's here's why it's attractive. Here's the scary stuff. Are we going to focus on more so on the more sensationalistic? And I hate saying sensationalistic about sex trafficking type of thing. But are are we going to use that as our predominant hook? But also, it's nine episodes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, it can't just be that because there's too many episodes. Yeah. Um. So we'll see. I mean, we'll 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 chime in the next time we have thoughts on it. Um. Um. But for now, let's go on to our next show. 
which is RuPaul's Drag Race Vegas Review. And I have uh, recaps of this over at the AV Club, and I say recaps very intentionally, uh, because this first episode, uh, Baby We Made It, uh, went up last Friday, and then, of course, this is airing on, this is airing on, um, Fridays. So we'll, if, if I talk about it, it'll be the day, the week after. So I've also seen and written up the second episode. Um, which is opening night. And when I heard there's going to be a drag race docu-series following the making and putting on of the live show in Vegas, uh, and it's going to have Evie and Asia and Cameron and, uh, and Derek Berry and Na- Naomi Smalls and Vanjie. Uh, I was like, okay, that could be interesting. Oh, it's a doggy series. We're going to be like a making of and like, here's how you do it. And here's them in rehearsal and all this stuff. I was, I was actually, okay, you know, that could be interesting. That could be, I mean, it's only six episodes. So limited run that, you know, that could be interesting. And then by the end of the first episode, they are going full housewives where they're all out to, to have a, a, a relaxing evening at the casino after they've had their rehearsals, but they're going to stay, they're, they're going to put on drag for, to go out and hang out at the bar. And then, oh, this person that they've had a disagreement with is just going to happen to swing by, uh, just unexpectedly so that they can all have a fight about it, looking glamorous. And on the casino, I was like, this is not a docuseries. <laughs> This is a reality soap. This is a docu-soap. It is, it, it has its own name in Merriam-Webster. It is not a docu-series. <laughs> I have no interest in this. Um, so the parts of this that are actually about the making of are more compelling to me. The parts in this that are, like, hugely staged, but dealing with actual more ser- serious issues, like, you know, Evie mentions in the premiere that... She hasn't been to, I mean, it's weird to say she because most of the time they're out of drag. Mm-hmm. And so so it feels weird to say she, but I just, you know, my reviews, I just stick with the drag race pronouns that they that, that these performers use. So, but Evie um, hasn't been to the doctor in 10 years and, and Evie's got Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So that's a significant, like not even for a checkup, um, anything beyond just like, like, flu shots and stuff. Um, so that doesn't seem like that's good. And, but that's some really, you know, heady, significant topics, especially coming off of the death of Chi-Chi Devane um, just last week. And Chi-Chi had talked about, you know, having a recurring issue, scleroderma, and, and in his case, and not getting, like, waiting too long to get checked up because you didn't necessarily want to hear what the doctor was going to say. So then, of course, immediately you hear Evie talk about, oh, well, I haven't been back to the doctor for 10 years, not since I was 15. And it's just like... <gasps> Go get checked out. Make sure you're okay, Evie. Um, but obviously, Evie's personal health is her business and absolutely none of our business. So there's some interesting topics that are being discussed. There's, um, you know, work family versus personal life. Uh, there's uh, strained relationships, like parental and familial relationships that get touched on, long-distance relationships. Like, there's, some, there's some actual substance there, but most of it... Um, in the first two episodes, most of it is either making of, which is I find interesting. Um, their, their dress rehearsal is rough. No, <laughs> I was like, they were showing they they had like this like series of like mistakes and, and like uh, that they cut together from their last their last rehearsal. I'm like, if that is actually from the last rehearsal, the day before opening night, that is that is too many mistakes i've done enough shows to know that is too many mistakes for your last week somebody misses their entrance in the very first song like 
What is happening? Anyways, I assume it was edited together from several rehearsals to make a more compelling show, but like, oof. Anyways, that part of it is interesting to me. The Housewives stuff is not interesting. Uh, some of the cast are better than others at like, like Derek s- sits and talks with his boyfriends about his relation, his strained relationship with his mother. I'm like, I don't believe for a second that you are telling your your partners about this strained like history with your mother for the first time while the cameras are here. Not for a second, but Derek, bless you, you're selling it. Your boyfriends are not. They do not have the experience of being on reality TV, so they are not selling this. But hey, it is an important topic for kids to hear about. You know, so it's just it's this interesting. Well, it's a interesting blend, but not something that people should watch unless they are very interested in housewives, but drag queens. If you if you're here for the artifice then this is for you. And if you were hoping for, like, a much more earnest, like, here's how you put on a show in Vegas, mm-hmm. eh, not so much. They, I will say, though, the uh, second episode really captures the energy of what opening night feels like, if it goes well. <laughs> <laughs> and just, like, n- like it's two hours before sh- call time, and Naomi isn't there yet, and, and, like, some of the queens are, like, freaking out. And I was just sitting there writing my review going, 100%, I'm so with them, like, Two hours might seem like a long time to have to be there ahead of time, uh, but not on opening night of your show. Not not at all. Two hours before, if, you're, if your co-star isn't there two hours before, when you know they have to paint and everything, then you're just going, uh, they're dead in a ditch. And we're all, this whole show is going to fall apart now because we, how are we going to, what do we, do we have an understudy? What do we, you know, et cetera. So um, I thought that they really captured that energy actually very well. And I'm curious how the show is going to sustain the next four episodes. Seeing as they had opening night be episode two. So, also, this was the opening night was in January of this year and it was a three month residency. So, two, two guesses, Noel, what that takes us up to. Um, I'm guessing COVID. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, the show was shut down for COVID before they finished the three month run. So, um, it was like, it was pretty far into it, obviously, but it, it, opened in the end of January. So it was supposed to, the three months takes them to the end of March and they got shut down, of course, before then. So there's certainly some stuff coming, but it just, I just, I, if just tell me you're giving me a reality soap, just tell me you're giving me housewives. Don't call it a docu-series about the making of a Vegas show. Cause that's, that's what I was hoping it was. And that's not really what it is. Uh, I was not expecting Glow Up, which I found, I stumbled across on Netflix, and it is a makeup artist reality show on BBC, and I am really on board with these BBC reality shows because they are 10 contestants, 8 episodes, uh, usually there's not prize money, um, there's other, because th- the BBC isn't allowed to give prize money, I think, um, which is part of why the Great British Bake Off doesn't do that, uh, but the structure is really good in this one. They, they seem to have judges who know what they're doing, but there's always a, um, like a mini challenge, but it's a professional challenge. So it's different types of like being a professional makeup artist gigs. So like a photo shoot or red carpet or like these different kinds of things. And then whoever wins that might get, gets a special prize. Like I'm going to hire you to work the rest of this photo shoot. Let's go. Right. Um, or they get an advantage in the next episode. But then the nice thing, the next one is the second challenge in each episode is a is the creative challenge where they give them a prompt and then they and they have plenty of time to plan ahead you know, plan what their design is going to be 
And then they just do whatever makeup they they want on that brief. And it's just in the studio. They have like two and a half, three hours, something like that, uh, to work. And there isn't a winner. Okay. There's someone gets eliminated. Um, but the way they do that is is whoever does the worst uh, in the professional challenge is in the hot seat, basically. And there's the so the bottom two get 15 minutes less than the other people. And uh, on the the creative challenge, and then whoever like if they do good enough, they can they basically call it they beat the seat, <laughs> so they can get out of danger. Um, but they, they, there's no like prize or anything for doing the best um, in the creative challenge. And then whoever like if you don't beat the seat, then you go through to the face off. Or if somebody if you do beat the seat, somebody else takes their seat, right? Gets gets placed in the face off. And then the bottom two go into a super fast but super precise challenge. So, like, do – and they give um, identical twin models for the two makeup artists. Okay. And they say, okay, we want a perfect glitter lip. You have five minutes. Go. So, like, it's just got to be – and they're looking for symmetry. They're looking for precision. They're looking for, like – or, like, make a cut crease eye. Like, it's just, like, really specific things. Here, we've done, we've painted half the face. You need to paint the other other half to match. Who does it better? And then because they're on identical twin models, they'll, like, put them up on the screen next to each other, their, their results. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because it's high stakes and everything. But also, it's the kind of work that you, as a makeup artist, you don't have a lot of time most of the time. Yeah. You, you're on set, you're on the photo shoot, you're doing something else. They got to get to the runway. They got to get to the, you know, and so you got to be fast and you got to be accurate. So having that be what eliminates people as opposed to, we don't know if we bought your concept, you know, is really, it's, it just puts an emphasis on the technical that I appreciated. The, the, one of the judges is trying too hard to make ding dong a thing <laughs> um, when somebody does a good job and she, she does effectively make it a thing, but like, you know. It feels a little like, or maybe she said it once and they're like, ooh, that's good. That can that should be your catchphrase. And then they hit it a bit hard, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, I actually really liked a lot of the judging. Um, there's an interesting range of talents and it was fun. So I gobbled up the first two seasons of it and I'm looking forward to, you know, whenever they drop the next uh, the next season of that, whenever that is, you know, after COVID and everything. Um, the Because the season two aired in the UK earlier this year, so it's a pretty recent show. Um, I also watched uh, the first episode of, of Skin Wars, which was recommended to me after watching Glow Up, because Skin Wars is a body painting okay. reality show. I was... <laughs> I'm not very impressed with that one. <laughs> um, it could just be because one of the contestants who's go- who you can tell is going to go far in the first season... It's just really annoying, like, re- like really annoying. So I might stop watching it. And also they have RuPaul as one of the judges for a body painting competition. Why? Why? I, I mean, RuPaul's great in all. Like, RuPaul makes excellent reality TV and is a very good host. But that's not who I go to to be an expert on body painting. Yeah, so that seems a little weird. <laughs> There's some flaws. Clearly there's some flaws here, right? So much more interesting is Glow Up which is actually about makeup artists and everything. Check it out. It's very interesting. So now let's uh, move over to Dora Hidoro. And this is on Netflix as well? Yes, this is on Netflix. So what is the show? So the show dropped in May on Netflix here in the U.S. Um, 
It's an anime series adapted from a manga that wrapped up in 2018 that started around uh, 2000, I think. Um, A lot of people I know love this show. Uh, Sorry, love this manga. Uh, So much so that I, like a couple of folks, when I dropped my list of best anime on Netflix for tvguide.com at near the end of April, we're just like, you should have held this back for a couple of weeks so that you could have included Dora Hedora. Um, the show hadn't even been seen yet, but such is the strength mm-hmm. of the manga that it is based on that people were just like, you should have waited because this is really good or it's going to be really good. Um, so I've watched the first three episodes of this and I will confirm that it's pretty solid so far. It's weird as fuck. Um, because here's the premise. Here's the premise, everyone. Um, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic setting called The Hole, where humans live. Um, and then there's this other dimension where sorcerers live. Sorcerers kind of all look human, but they also have weird things about them that I kind of don't want to spoil, because half the fun of the show is going, wait, what the hell? Um, so the sorcerers cross over using magical doors to the hole to practice their magic on what humans are trying, what humans are left trying to survive in the hole. Um, so that in of itself is pretty weird and also is barely explained in the show. Um, so you kind of end up having to piece together that little bit of a premise part of the narrative, um, because it's more concerned with its actual plot, which is a man named Kaiman who has the head of like a lizard or a dinosaur with little spikes on the back of his head, um, who doesn't remember how he got this dinosaur head. And so he and his friend Nikado are searching for the sorcerer who did this to him, that they hope when they kill the sorcerer, his head and his memory, his head will go back to normal and his memories will come back. Okay. That is that is the plot of the show. And then they get like caught up in this weird sort of gang war with the sorcerers as a result of them trying to navigate all of this. Um I really like this so far. It's it's very <laughs> weird, but there's a heavy charm to just like the world that they've constructed that I find very compelling and I got sucked into it pretty quickly. Um the other thing of note is that the series has a heavy reliance on CG animation, which is always really hit or miss for me. Um, and I'm not talking like the Pixar or the DreamWorks t- style CG animation. If you've watched any anime on Netflix that is CG, you kind of know what I'm talking about because they sort of they like that kind of slightly off CG cell sort of thing for their anime productions in a lot of instances. And Dora Hidoro still kind of hues to that approach. Um, it's not as bad as like Knights of Sidonia, which was the first anime that they licensed and co-produced uh, years and years ago. But it's very similar to a lot of the stuff in a mecha anime whose name I can't remember. That was from the Code Geass guys um, either really early last year, uh, this year, or sometime last year. Um, but it generally really works because they are able to build out this really beautiful art design using it. So the world of the whole feels 
industrial, but incredibly gritty and run down and kind of low-key horrible um, in just the aesthetics of it. So I really, really like that. Um, and there's just this sense of pollution everywhere in the whole, driven in part because, and I didn't explain this bit, but I will because it only makes sense the thing that I like about the setting only makes sense if I explain the fact that sorcerers have to open up their fingers to really smoke and their smoke is their magic. <laughs> okay. Okay. And the residuals of that magic causes this weird sort of acid rain that slowly eats away at everything. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, so like everything about the whole is influenced by the sorcerers and their abilities and how that impacts everything. So there's there's a lot of really interesting little layers in the world building that make it make Dorhadoro really compelling and really interesting, I think. So again, I've only watched the first three episodes. I really like what I've watched so far. There's a fun little twist at the end of the third episode, um, which is also a zombie episode in which they get little like metal they get points for killing zombies so that they can get like new equipment including like a meat grinder or a CRT television like actual amenities basically but this only happens once a year apparently um so like the ways in which they've developed a culture out of their post-apocalyptic sorcerer influenced polluted world existence i think is really neat um, so I'm going to probably finish this up, uh, next week. Um, it's 12 episodes so far. I don't know if they've been picked up for a second season yet. Um, but it's pretty darn good. Um, at least based on these first three episodes. So I'm eager to dive in for more. Um, and I give it a tentative recommendation if you like some weird stuff. Um, <laughs> but it's pretty solid and it's from MAPPA. Uh, which is an animation studio that spun out from Madhouse, which is also a really great animation studio. But MAPPA's done a number of really great shows over the course of its run, including two Sinshoro Wananabe shows, the guy who did Cowboy Bebop. They did uh, Kids on the Slope and Terror and Resonance. Terror and Resonance is so-so. Um, but I know a lot of people who like Kids on the Slope. But they also were responsible for doing the animation in part for um, Yuri and Ice, which is a really popular and beloved um, series from 2017. They also did um, Kakigori, um, which is the over-the-top gambling anime that is also on Netflix that I've considered making Kate watch everyone, but I don't think she would enjoy it in any way, shape, or form, so I'm not going to do that to her. Well, not yet. <laughs> not, no. We'll see. Maybe, maybe next I'm year. I'm never going to do that to you. Um, but I did include it on my best anime on uh, Netflix to watch for TVGuide.com, to which a number of people went, that's bold telling normies to watch Kakigori. Um, but... You're like, yep, that's how I wrote it. And I was just like, my editors wanted my editors wanted different shows. And I think Kakigori is a terrific and beautiful critique of capitalism. Um, <laughs> while also just being ridiculous. Um, so it's from a good animation studio. The manga is really well beloved. And the first three episodes, I think, are pretty darn interesting. So if you're looking for something to watch, I think that this is definitely something to check out. I will probably circle back as soon as I finish it. So tentative recommendation but don't hold me to it until after i finished it <laughs> well that's certainly it, it's very interesting and like when you're like dragon lizard head yeah. dragon head but like, the rest of him is all beefcake man <laughs> just like 
Hey, that's awesome. That's that's super fun. So yeah, I look forward to hearing your thoughts when you catch up with the rest of the season. Um, well, weird and strange is a good place to pivot us over to Lovecraft Country, and we had episode two, Whitey's in the Moon, which really wraps up our first story. Yes. Um. So so, uh, we've given you. I'm going to give you a little time here if you don't want to be spoiled about this because there's one very important thing we need to talk about about this episode, but. In case you're just scrambling for your podcasting devices to skip ahead to Infinity Train, you hopefully have enough time now because how dare they, sir? How dare they kill Courtney B. Vance? Yeah, I'm not happy about it. And it's telling that I'm not happy about it when I'm getting basically Michael K. Williams in exchange. And I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) but no. But both. But both. Yeah, no, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of how I feel. It's just like, but... I don't get to see Courtney V. Vance a lot anymore. I feel like I still get to see Michael K. Williams semi-regularly. Well, also, I felt particularly cheated because I had looked up, like, the outlines of the stories, Mm -hmm. and none of them had mentioned that he dies. That's rough. So, (laughs) I didn't... I was like, see, we're going to watch our team here get into all this trouble, but it'll be okay because the white supremacists aren't going to win. And I know that so I can just enjoy the story without being anxious the whole time, right? Except I couldn't. Yeah. No, I I, I was very unhappy that he died, um, was killed. I did not care for that at all. Um, so, yeah. Oh, it was very frustrating. Yeah. But I thought that this episode was, was, was fun overall. I thought there was a lot, like, <laughs> the memory thing was good, as was the, like, let them remember, snaps the fingers, whatever, instant screaming. Yeah. It's very funny. Traumatizing and all, but, like, very funny. Well played. Um, I thought that they did a good job of showing the magic and making it interesting and strange enough. Uh, I liked some of the backstory we got. I liked the way that they changed the ceremony from the book. Okay. At least my understanding of the book, because my understanding of the book is that somebody who's trying to take down the Braithwaites or trying to, like, usurp... You know, Tony Goldwyn, the Potter Familius, uh, gives uh, our lead there as like a magic word to say, which then like turns things around instead. So instead of it being his ancestor, his great great whatever uh, mother Hannah, that that like through some way manages to guide him out of the house and turn the turn things around, and it being that that power uh, of like this other side of his family. Um, and specifically the slave side of, of that, uh, you know, and like that ancestor who, you know, is the reason that, that he take is there. Um, it's, it was just, it was one of the other, you know, wizards, like white supremacist wizards who did it. Um, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shapes what comes next, if it does, or if it was just like a change for that scene, um, but I thought that I thought that it was not as compelling for me as the first episode, but still interesting and fun in a very different way. Yeah, I agree with you that I was sort of like, yeah, this is fine. Um, I sort of I sort of appreciated the shift on the uh, one drop rule, basically um, being used against this cult society. Um, at the same time, Tony Goldwyn being, yeah, you know what, I don't care, and expressing the overall. Um, just generalness of yeah no this is this is those rules only work when we want them to work 
Um, mm-hmm. And I choose for them not to work it's, in this instance. It's more guidelines. Yeah, they're more the guidelines than rules. Um, but it demonstrates it's it's a nice job of illustrating how like much nonsense that sort of thing is because uh, it's just ignored when they want to ignore it or enforced when they want to enforce it. Um, so that I thought was a neat idea. Um, and I liked, I, I agree with you that that version of the ceremony works better when it's done through agency like that. Um, though it, it, it still ultimately feels kind of just very Lovecraftian, which is the point I understand, but it's also, like I said last week, Lovecraft is really difficult for me um, in terms of really connecting to it and like really getting into it. And like the whole thing of a ceremony opening up into an altered dimension and using a needing a body or a sacrifice to do that for the, your mythical artifact and everything. I just go, yeah, okay. Um, it doesn't, <laughs> it's never grabbed me, which is part of the reason why like um, I'm very it's very hard to get me into like um, a lot of like powered by the apocalypse tabletop games that rely really heavy on Lovecraftian stuff. And I just go, this is stupid. I don't care that it's Lovecraft in space. It doesn't change that it's Lovecraft. Um, so, so, so no Arkham horror for you is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like, like um, we have, um, we have like the Hill house, one of the Hill house or haunting of, a Hill House-esque game, which is very, has Lovecraftian elements in it, but it doesn't rely too heavily on, like, a madness meter, which is something that Mm -hmm. I always kind of, like, go, this is stupid. People just break. Um, You should just be broken immediately and then the game's over. Um, Anyway, this is not a tabletop RPG podcast. Um, (laughs) I will say, because I haven't read any Lovecraft, but I've played a bunch of Arkham Horror, um and from when i was in college and uh and so like it's it, it's entertaining to me to see certain things be like ah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um but i think the rest of this episode is fine like i agree with you like i feel like it's a step down from a lot of the, like the white knuckling that you feel like you experience in that slow sense of dread um, that you experience in that first episode so much so that the action the fantastical horror feels almost like a relief Mm-hmm. Um, here that there's not a sensation of that here. Um, there, in fact, for a lot of this episode, I feel like kind of flat for most of the episode, which is not how I should be feeling. Um, even down to their, the, the cults or the houses, m- fantastical manipulations of our trio, um, that I just kind of go, yeah, no, I know all of these are fake. Like, pretty easily um so and none of them feel at that point feels particularly specific to what we know about them like um oh yeah no but they you know they do feel like the kinds of things that those people would think would be funny to watch yes and i think that's the problem ultimately um is that like we don't know enough about we know just enough about tick to know something bad happened over there um in korea but that's it um, but we, we garnered that from his conversation, his conversation on the phone in the first episode. Um, so the confirmation that he did something bad in Korea doesn't necessarily feel like a revelation or a character defining thing here. Um, so I'm curious to see how 
and hopefully it continues to unfold in some capacity as we go to the next like arc or whatever um i have so many questions about how letty has money to buy a house uh, <laughs> but n- n- the other two just didn't do anything for me but i appreciated that george figured it out almost immediately and went yeah this is nice but this is not real <laughs> um but i think legitimately it very much felt like a but what if we do a snake coming out of the pants an actual snake and i went i mean i guess that snake looks real bad though where was where that budget was not there for that snake so yeah, I just this episode felt kind of flat for me, even if the use of Whitey on the Moon I think works really, really well in that sequence. I think it's an excellent po- verse drop, needle drop, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for that sequence. Also, the Jefferson's theme, like I didn't so love good. It. You didn't like it? I, oh, I thought it was great. I didn't. I think that there's a good sense of like the fact that everyone's really happy. About like two two of our three are really legitimately interested in it, and I appreciate Atticus being like, "That's weird," and we should all be really concerned about it until we get like the remembrance that they don't remember anything yeah. from the previous night. Mm-hmm. But I'm still like, yeah. eh, I don't love this. Um, See, I thought it was fun, but also weird and off putting. Yeah, in a good blend. But I mean, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Um, so that's sort of where I ended up with this: is that I. I still like the episode, but it felt like a really significant step down for me from a lot of the tension and a lot of the character stuff even that I really enjoyed in the first episode. I agree. Um, I, the other thing I want to mention, though, is that I really appreciate that the characters save themselves. Yes. Over and over. So uh, takes dad, uh, saves himself, and like the timing, like the reveal of them. Oh, hey! There you are. <laughs> was really yes. fun. Uh, was very good. Um, but also, uh, Letty right is able to defend herself from the the magic, you know, fake tick, and like every they're trying to they're trying to rescue and help and save each other. But overwhelmingly, like most of the time, right, they're able to to save themselves, and I think that's really great that they, that's clearly a priority of the the writers and and the directors and performers and everything and how they're playing those scenes so um yeah we'll see what happens in the next episode but it's certainly the whole like the whole show now has that tinge of loss and pain to it of like the specific yes pain of losing uncle george which is going to make it a lot less fun to go on wacky crazy lovecraftian adventures um so, yeah, I, I mean, I get it and all, but, like, come on. Come on. Courtney B. Vance! Yeah. And as I recall, he's, like, listed on IMDb as eight episodes, so. Maybe he'll show up as a ghost or in flashbacks, but I don't know. I don't, know. I don't think, I don't think so. I think they just had bad information. Yeah. Well, IMDb is, a lot of that information is not always accurate, so. Yeah. Yep, that's on me. That's on me for just, like, taking it face value. Um, our next episode, is, in the last episode of the week in TV, is Infinity Train, which had its book three finale, Call to the Conductor, uh, The Origami Car, and The New Apex. Uh-huh. Now, last week you talked about the first uh, eight episodes yes. of this. I caught up with all of it this week, and I think it's doing some good stuff here, but also... This is my least favorite of the seasons, and I think it's the least successful. It do- It feels more like part one 
than an actual complete arc. And uh, I just kept waiting for it to click into place and like start going to the next gear. And I don't feel I don't feel like it did. I think there's some some really good stuff with our lead, but I kept waiting for them to do something more specific and interesting with our antagonist or who is revealed as our antagonist and they just don't. So while I appreciate where it ends up and I, you know, there's some, some really fun stuff along the way. I have a little bit of a question mark over this one. What, what did you think? Did it land better for you? It landed mostly better for me. Um, but I don't disagree with you. Um, I think that there's, I think that because they're tackling a weirder sort of concept about abusive relationships and empathy and the ways in which that can get really kind of cloudy, um, while Hazel serves as like the inciting incident for all of this, it also means that a lot of those dynamics can't be explored between Grace and Simon until literally the very end, um, which I think structurally presents problems for your characters and for like the thematic kind of thing that you want to do in this episode, which is why like the new apex is too rushed. Like the finale is just, there's too much happening in the finale for it to really kind of hit as hard as I want it to. Like the reveal that the numbers are, covering all of Simon's body at by especially by the very very end um that I just and that he's had time to build himself a, a skateboard and snowboard of thrones mm-hmm. <laughs> um like all of this stuff there's just and then like get all these kids turned against grace and all this stuff is just like a passage of time issue really hurts that finale and then other things it just it doesn't stick as well as i wanted to even though i think that there are really like you say nice things in here but i agree that i think it's the weaker of it ends up being the weaker of the three installments um and it ultimately just made my partner and i both just go well we should just watch books one and two again right now um mm-hmm. and that's both a good thing because we were just like, yeah, no, we need to, we want to go back and kind of like peel back a couple more layers about some of the stuff that was happening in this. At the same time, I think a lot of that is also driven by maybe this not feeling completely satisfactory, especially after you come off of the second season, which I think does ultimately does a much better job of exploring a sticky topic better than this season does. Yeah, I agree. Um, for, there's just too many things that happen too quickly. I think for where we pick up with Grace and Simon, uh-huh. they like Simon kills Tuba with glee, and it doesn't skyrocket his number. His number pretty much stays, you know, like about the same. Yeah. It gets higher, but like not massively. That tells me he's done stuff like that before and a lot. And so has Grace, which is the only way her number's that high. And It also tells me that the train doesn't care as much, which is weird and uncomfortable to a certain degree. Yes, abso- I absolutely agree. It's very upsetting. I, it, like, the, the things that, that they do to get their numbers high enough, right, are really disturbing. And the, the show doesn't engage with them, right? We see that little shot of, like, the light creature, right, who is does not want to be there and is alive and uh, is 
not being treated as such by this, the, the kids and the apex. Um, but like, they just don't, the show wants to have start from this place of, okay, we introduced these antagonists in season two in book two now but can we can we make you connect with these antagonists right and that'll be our challenge yeah. for book three and for me they 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 didn't and when they were more successful in doing that the way they did it was by undercutting what they had established with the apex in the first place so i do like though that even at the end grace is like i'm not gonna read your fanfic <laughs> um I mean, like, yeah, I know it all, and I'm, I'm a better person, but I'm not that much of a better person. Um, I'm not coming the, to your one act, Simon. I'm just not, okay? I'm very I'm busy. Not, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I thought that while there's, again, there's interesting issues and abandonment and abusive relationships and toxic relationships and all of that and listening and not listening empathy, there's a lot of really important stuff that, the, that these episodes are dealing with, but I think um, it... For the punches it packs, and it really goes for the gut several times, they didn't, um, they clearly, they were very successful in what they did because it hurt so much, but I don't feel like I got enough out of that pain for the pain to have been worth it narratively. Um, and that's like, so if, so if you're going to kill Tuba and you're going to do that song to make us all cry you better earn it by having Grace fully comprehend the horror of what she enabled Simon to do. And, you know, and I don't think that they, they, I don't think they earned it. Do you have any other thoughts on it? Yeah. I I mean, I agree with you that they don't earn that as well as I think they think they do. Um, In part because one of the, I think one of the challenges that it has is that Grace's Grace's whole thing is about trying to play basically both sides um, on an emotional level, like of a I'm changing, I'm changing, but I'm not prepared to discuss this with my partner being Simon. Um, And I think it just goes back to, again, the show doesn't have the time to really dive into that. And so they try to sort of make up through through shortcuts of Simon killing Tuba um, or of Simon trapping Grace in her memories, which is what actually causes his numbers to skyrocket, um, which is, again, it gets telling about what the train, and by the train we mean the show, considers worthy of really driving home a number, um, is... Kill, killing killing a denizen of the train, not great, but okay. Um, but trapping someone in their memories and abusing them in that kind of a capacity is arguably worse. But it gets into like thorny ethics issues of, well, is Hazel a person? Is Tuba a person? I'm like, the show refuses to really commit to that as a concept, despite bringing it up as a question repeatedly bringing it up as a question. And the answer is, look over here. Look over there. Is the answer from the show, which is troubling when they've done such a really good job of finding really clear-cut ways to answer other interesting and problematic questions with nuance 
it's and that's I think ultimately the, ends up being the season's ultimate failure is that there's a lack of nuance in a lot of this. Um, so that's kind of where I end up with it is I was just kind of, I ended up being really disappointed with it despite kind of feeling very high on it, um, last week, um, a little bit of distance and then watching these last two episodes, I just kind of went, oh yeah, I just, just, yeah, this was not as good. And I need to go back and read the TV club review of it that kind of called this like their, their like most difficult season. And I was just like, was it though? Also, Grace's number went down way too quick. Oh, yeah, no. Way too easy. Way too fast. Just too fast. Um, plus, I mean, we don't have we don't have Ben Mendelsohn singing a creepy fucking song while half of his character's <laughs> body is missing. Uh, like, yeah. There's, there's, there's very few fewer... There are very few highs in this um, in terms of just, like, what the... F- um, type of thing of the train um, that also I think kind of lessens a lot of this um, but Amelia will never stop being like deeply affecting for me so that's mm-hmm. good at least I guess if we would have gotten a book for Amelia would have been the focus of it I guess yeah um, I liked that uh, they did not by the end they did not waste any energy trying to save Simon I think that's an important yeah. message especially like for if you're if some age of kids is your, uh, you know, your goal audience, at least part of your audience. I think the message of you can't fix everyone. If they don't want to change, they aren't going to change. And you have to focus on taking care of yourself and being, you know, surrounding yourself with healthy relationships um, is a a very important message. So I I actually really liked that. Even if it is like horrifying and gruesome by the end, because you spend so much of the season with the show, like, teasing, like, understanding and background for Simon to get you on board with Simon to understand where he's coming from. And then they just, like, double down instead. Um, so, yeah, I, it's like, I feel like it needed more episodes yeah. um, to really get this started. Because it really does feel like we should get back to the apex. First of all, Simon and Grace are too old. They said, don't trust adults. They look like adults, at least compared to the little kids. There isn't enough of a gradation in age. Um, so I, I was expecting them to get back to the apex and the apex wouldn't have them anymore because they're adults. And so they would be banished. Right. Um, but anyways, we should get back to the apex and her number should still be going down, but still be very long. And her work is just beginning as opposed to down to like three digits by the end. And so it just, it felt a little strange, but it certainly is a very interesting show and it's certainly one worth thinking about. And I hope it gets renewed. I know that it's like we talked about last week. um, It's future is very much in doubt. Um, So I do hope it, you know, gets enough of a surge of viewership that it it comes back for a final season. But uh, if nothing else, at least we have the really stellar first and second seasons and and like some interesting things to play around with in this third season so listeners if you have not checked out infinity train do check out infinity train now all available streaming on hbo max uh what was your week in tv um i'm gonna give it to um the episodes of dora hidoro i watched even though this came out in may um that's kind that's that probably won my week in tv this week what about you i mean i may destroy you but yeah, yeah. That's cheating. That is a little bit of cheating, um, but the finale did air, like, this week, didn't it? Yeah, the finale aired this week, and that's definitely the best thing we watched this week. Yeah, no, I take back what I said. Yeah, no, that finale of I May Destroy You. I take back what I said. I thought it aired last week. 
<laughs> um, so that wraps up our weekend TV. Now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer for I May Destroy You, and we'll be right back with our season spotlight. The watching our favorite German TV show? Science. Animation at, at the, the same time. time. Oh, where'd you get that? Can't remember. I just smashed your phone. I don't know. How did last night end? Cybers, man down, police on the move again. Flashbacks. Yeah, I see him a bit. I caught the wave, then I caught the preacher sleeping with the devil. My friend is stressed. Listen to her talk. Make her feel good. Better talk when he's talking. Let's talk TikTok. Are you gonna miss me? Don't like this sort of conversation. Are we boyfriend and girlfriend? Could you say yes? It wouldn't be a conversation. Is there a reason why you haven't told him about the assault? He's an Italian drug lord. I'm joking. I'm kind of gets a bit much. What do you do when it gets a bit much? Try yoga? Painting? Painting? Andy Crofts? I don't even think I know what Andy Crofts is. There is so much injustice, and my job is to speak the truth. Thank you for what you're doing. I love you too. I caught the wave, I caught the wave. I caught the sharks and they swim with the fishes. Yeah, you will need to monitor that. Yeah. Back in the room. Sorry. That was the trailer for uh, season one or just the entirety of HBO and BBC's uh, I May Destroy You. More specifically, uh, Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, because, of course, she is the uh, writer and co-director uh, of, I think, most of the episodes and the star. Um, this is, you know, we're big fans of hers from Chewing Gum, um, and this is uh, her next big prominent show she's been doing other things as well but this is her big uh debut to american audiences who did not catch chewing gum on netflix when it went over there um and it is a show that is very specifically about assault sexual assault and uh other other forms of abuse and um and it's a difficult show. It's a very challenging show. So if this is not a topic for you, please stop listening. Come back next week. We'll talk about other things next week. Um, it, it's a really, really well done show. I, I, it's been massively praised across the interwebs. I do not think it is overpraised. Uh, but know yourself, trust your instincts, and engage with it when you are ready to, is what I would say. Any thoughts, Noel, for people who maybe should tune out yeah um it's really good um particularly i think the last few episodes in particular are just remarkable in a lot of what they want to achieve um the finale specifically is one of the most complicated sort of explorations of trauma and grief and 
a co- the concept of what closure is that I think I've watched. Um, that yeah, this is this is really really good. Um, as I repeatedly told Kate, <laughs> do not binge this. Um, it is a bad idea to binge this. Um, one or two episodes a week, I think you're good. Plus, this is a show that I think allowing yourself time to sit with it is also a really good approach. So even though all of this is available um, through, if you have HBO in any capacity, HBO regular flavor and (laughs) HBO Max, um, you have access to this. Um, And take your time with it because it is a show that deserves to have its time taken with it. There are actually episodes that I was watching and... I needed to watch another one after the episode ended because it was too difficult to have that be where I left off with the show that day. Which is kind of fair. But yeah. isn't that weird? It's like, it's a show that yeah. you don't want to, you know, like I did okay doing four, five, or four or five episodes a day, but that's because I'm me and I'm not yeah. normal. Um, and also I, I wanted to get it watched for our discussion today. Yeah. Um, normally, yes. Yeah, Trust your instincts, give yourself space, yeah. space it out, you know, and there are definitely, um, there's different levels of difficult conversations and discussions and representations, um, but there's there's a spectrum and there were a couple episodes where it's like, well, that's not going to be the last thing I watch before I go to bed and I'm all yes. out of makeup reality shows, so we're watching the next one because I'm hoping that it won't be as painful as that one. Is and there's just a different conversation on on the theme, and that was it ended up being the right call for me. So, um, yes, I second what you what you're saying, though. Um, so with that, if you don't want to hear any of this, I guess, um, thanks for listening, and we'll Thank see you, you next listening. week here on the Televerse. Yeah, um, thanks <laughs> for the great on Twitter, Kate. at NolarK. Yeah, the Televerse, the gmail.com. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but if you are interested in hearing this discussion, then yeah. let's begin. <laughs> let's begin. Um, so, Premise, what, what's the show about? The show is about uh, a woman, Arabella, uh, who is a writer and a, uh, you know, who broke out on social media and you eventually discover has like written her first, self-published her first book as a PDF online and gotten a book deal from that and is now is struggling to finish her follow-up. Um, she, in the premiere, she's got a deadline. She's got to get some pages done. She has blown off her work during her visit to Italy where she was supposed to be writing and instead was spending all of her time uh, with, with her Italian drug Lord Barrymore, um, who is, she's more invested. Yeah. You, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, It seems at first, like maybe, maybe not. And then no, yeah, no, definitely. Um, Anyways. And she, uh, in knowing that this is a show explores and, comments on and processes sexual assault when she sets that timer she, she's like i gotta finish this but i'm making progress i can go out for an hour because i need to take a break anyways and then i'll come back and finish writing and she sets the timer and she goes out and you're just like no no what are you doing yeah. no um she over the course of that evening eventually realizes that she had her drug was uh her her drink was drugged when she was out at the bar and then she has to piece together what's happened um why does she have a bruise why is her phone cracked and why does she have a horrifying image in her head that she can't quite 
place. And so she eventually pieces together that she has been sexually assaulted. And then the, the show continues from there. Um, you know, what, what does she do next? You know, what is, how does this, uh, what is her, the next, you know, several months. I think it's like by the end, it's like nine months, a year later, by the end of the season. Around a year later. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what is her experience like as she's processing all, all of, you know, the thing, the trauma, then the pain that comes with this um, uh, assault and, and rape. And how does it shape uh, her relationships with some of her closest friends? We meet her family, her, (laughs) her roommate, Ben is very quiet. (laughs) And, um, I'm not going to lie, Kate. Yeah. If no one else hadn't talked to Ben, I I was ready to assume that Ben didn't actually exist. <laughs> but other people talk to Ben. Other people do talk to Ben, yeah. Uh, I mean, not just when they're doing coke in his room during a party. <laughs> oh, God, that scene. That joke. Kate, it's very good. It was so funny. <laughs> it's very, very good. Um, so... What what did you think of the show? What was your like? What connected with you right away? Because for me, it was all about Michaela Cole, and I mean everybody is amazing, but her performance yes. is just this is. For, I think for people, this will be the same thing that Fleabag was for Phoebe uh, Waller Bridge, uh, and they're discovering Michaela Cole. And welcome on board, welcome to the team, guys. She's really great. I I, I think that that comparison is apt. Um, on like a on like a star level, um, I think that I may destroy you is at least better than the first season of Fleabag. Yeah, we can have a discussion about its like merits versus the second season. Um, but it, they're doing such different things that it, yeah. it's kind of a they're both great. <laughs> they're both great. Um, I think that right. So I'm Cole obviously like draws you in really immediately i think regardless um but for me a lot of it is the fact that i think that that first episode is really good but it's everything that happens after that episode like the first episode for me is kind of a long inciting incident um that it's the plottiest of the plot it's the plottiest of the show um, because everything has to come, everything, the remaining 11 episodes have to come from that episode. And so I end up appreciating everything else, I think more than, um, the premiere. Um, but also a lot of this is a little weird for me because I watched six episodes of this like months ago mm-hmm. <laughs> and then watched episodes seven through 12 this week, um, doing two a day, um, Monday through Thursday. And so the first half of this show is a little fuzzy for me, <laughs> mm. but the first, the first episode is just so plotty, but not in like a negative way, in a way of like, you, you understand what the show is. It's very matter of fact. Yes. I think that's a beautiful way of describing it um, because it is. And that's sort of the show in a nutshell is how kind of matter of fact it is about all of it. Um, and, everything that falls out from this sexual assault um, from the rape um, is handled in both a matter of fact, but also perfectly calibrated, heightened, heightened way um, that never feels like it's a TV show. It feels TV showy for want of a better phrase. Um, So I was pretty much like kind of, I was on board by the first episode, 
but watching everything else and watching the show really consistently set up dominoes, knock those dominoes over, and then also set up dominoes and then go, that's not a domino we need to do anything with anymore. Until just, the here's the tile. The end of, yeah, here's the tile. We'll maybe come back to that at the end of this season for a few minutes because it's not important anymore. But it's here because it's still very important in this kind of mosaic almost that they're crafting around Arabella's experience. Um, and I think that's ultimately what is really beautiful about the show is its structure is kind of mind-bogglingly really good, even though it feels really forward and self, self-directed. Um, it's still really sharp, and I can't imagine changing a single thing about it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really well, uh, it's really well structured, as you say, to the point where uh, this is something that I I picked up in, in a review that I was reading about, about the season in an interview with Michaela Cole, um, that the, I've forgotten completely, the first shot you see in the pilot, in the premiere, is actually in the finale when she's sitting on her bed with the cards all over her wall and then we go to Italy and I had completely forgotten about that the person who's writing the article had also forgotten about it but they had just like finished the finale and then had like oh I should check that one thing check something out refresh my mind on the premiere and then they put that into like oh yeah so like this whole thing has that context of Arabella crafting her what ends up being her book and um and telling her story, and then you get and to then the we finale, catch up, and you yeah. catch up, right? You catch up in the finale, and it's the like the fact that I completely forgot about that. Um, but then as soon as I heard, it, I was like, "That makes sense." Cole's really smart. <laughs> like the show's really smart. Cole's really smart. That makes complete sense. Um, and it just clicks another little piece into place that makes you appreciate, you know, the craft of it all even more. Um, it it's it's really well told. Um, it's also just like, and this is again on the don't binge this show. It's really oppressive and painful because the three main characters all are sexually assaulted over the course of the show. Um, some of them multiple times, and what you like when you're watching it, like. I would completely understand someone who wanted to go and just read like outlines of like recaps of like what happens before I, so that I know what I'm getting into yes. with each episode. And I think it, the show would, you, you would not suffer from doing that. I don't think you would lose anything no. from doing that. Um, but so that you can be prepared for what's happening. And that is both really punishing, but also very honest. Cause usually I feel like when I see narratives around assaults, there is a character who is assaulted, who is raped, who is in some way abused. And then the people around them who are okay, whose job it is to take care of that person if they have a support network or to show how they aren't. As opposed to, no, we're going to talk about the topic of sexual assault and what it means and what are the different forms that, that it can take and how pervasive is it? And because um, the answer is very. And it's just not realistic to have one character who is dealing with trauma and 
than all these other people in her life who are not touched by that in their own personal experience. This, the numbers don't bear out to that. So it's, um, it's just, it's really thoughtful and really challenging. So let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about the characters aside from Arabella. I mean, unless you have more, cause there's so much we could get into just with Cole's performance. I mean, I have so much like we could get into. Um, yeah. That's the problem. Like, I mean, I think that the one thing I do want to note, um, and this is true with um, Arabella, but also with Terry and with Kwame, who we're going to discuss here in a second, um, is that the sticky, complicated, thorny stuff of the show is the sexual assaults. But where a lot of shows kind of stop which is where they where most shows stop is with the sexual assault to a certain degree. Um, I made a story you goes, yes. And <laughs> everything else that comes from that is actually stickier, thornier, and more complicated depending on how we deal with it, how the support system that we surround ourselves deals with it, and how societally we deal with it or not deal with it and the ways in which the show highlights those particularly in the last few run of episodes um and then peppers you with small little sucker punches like the reveal of a the author um Mm -hmm. yeah how they hit you with those things and how those things get baked into larger societal questions. Um, It's just so far ranging while still being deeply intimate that I kind of don't understand how they did it. (laughs) Um, It's yeah. um, Like um, on an emotional level, I sort of, like equate this show to Steven Sodenberg's quote about Mad Max Fury Road, which is, I don't know how they're still shooting, how they're still not shooting. And I don't know how not, none of them are dead. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and that's kind of how the, that degree of tightrope walking is kind of how I feel about I made a story. Um, so anyway, yes, let's talk about Terry and Kwame. One of the things that this show is, makes very clear, which I appreciate is that, uh, Arabelle's a terrible friend. <laughs> she's not a good. She's she's a dick. She's not a good person. Uh, Even a lot of the time, things like yeah. cause her to like unravel. <laughs> oh yeah, just in, like in the flashbacks to when she's a kid, like you like they don't make anyone out to be some great person, right? They're they're very they're very flawed. They're very real. Um, and as as tired as it gets, the uh, the my birth is. Your birth, your your birth is my birth. Your death is my death. Um, does actually like it goes around right? Like which is the slogan that Arabella has for her and and Terry, um, and also Kwame, but specifically for Terry. And they like it goes. It starts out as really sweet and endearing, gets annoying and obnoxious and and dense, and it comes back around to really lovely by the end in a way that I really appreciate and. While Terry certainly has her issues she's dealing with, um, what a lovely performance, what a lovely character, and what, uh, 
I like when we have our like twist sort of reveal in and which I'm not going to get more into and then we have a discussion between Bella and Terry around friendship and you're expecting a discussion around uh like betrayal or honesty or something like this and instead it's just a reiteration of love and trust and appreciation it's just so beautiful there's so much to appreciate in in Terry and her specific journey, um, the way it intersects with Arabella, but also just on her own and her coming to terms with her own identity and her place as, uh, as a friend to Arabella, but also as an actor, as her own independent person, uh, as part of this larger community. Uh, I, uh, Terry's great. What do you think? <laughs> no, Terry is great. And I think that, like you say, one of the thing, one of the strengths of the show is that no one, is good really um the only arguable case you can make is ben but that's because we don't know anything really about ben um because ben doesn't leave the house um so like that's that's the thing is like everyone's shades of being complicated and messy um and there's no there's no apology for that um from anyone Really, um, what is what the show really keys into is how everyone's respective traumas, but also their messy personalities and connections to one another causes strain on themselves personally, like interiorly, but also with their with the other two people in this triad. Um, so watching the show navigate that and Terry arguably is sort of like the center of this as the one who each of the other, each Arabella and Kwame talk to about the other person, um, and the conflict between everyone gets filtered through Terry almost, which I find really, really great on like a dramatic level, but also is exactly how it probably works with like triads of like close friends like this of this is how this works. <laughs> um, so watching how Terry navigates all of that, but also doesn't feel like she can talk about everything she's going through because of how Kwame and Arabella are. But then you pile on that Kwame doesn't feel like he can talk about anything. Um, and how both of both Kwame and Terry struggle with figuring out how to help Arabella, um, while Arabella just can't help anyone. It's really it requires a great deal of depth on performance levels. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep just getting stuck because the show's really, really good. Well, and because I think we don't want to get into some of the specifics because right, we we want you guys to experience it and watch it on your own. But like, it's just it's very well crafted, right? So the the lighting, the the I mean, so those costumes and the hair, the wigs. Ugh, I'm sure there's somebody who has just written a piece about the hair on this show because it's so good. Um, the 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 scenes at the beach, the the choices of like positioning and like how they use the camera. Like it's just very, very well crafted and there's there's too much 
to talk about it all, but it's, it's good, guys. It's very good. Um, and then around around Terry, I really appreciated, um, like watching when we get to the the finale. Did you have a preferred attempt at closure? Because when Terry takes over, I was like, I am so down for this. Team Terry. I'm not sure about the efficacy of Terry's plan. Oh, no, not at all. But just um, a scene in the bathroom, I was like, yes. Y- yes. However, Terry looking completely bored by a lap dance is also my jam. Yeah, that was very good, too. Yeah, that was also very good. That was also very good. Um, how about Kwame? Kwame is one of the more... Uh, like more complicated, I think, discussions of assault and yeah. trauma. Yeah. Um and I think the show struggles a little bit with Kwame in navigating where he fits in this sometimes. Um because I think that the show has a great deal of empathy for him, but narratively i'm not quite sure that they give him as much space but they also don't discount the fact of they don't take his sexual assault society as a whole doesn't take his sexual assault as seriously as it takes arabella's um and they're really smart to mirror those scenes of all right i'm gonna go report this the door's just gonna be left open the officer taking my statement has no training in this um, and in fact, is going it's going to go get someone uncomfortable. else. Yeah. And is clearly uncomfortable with this entire conversation that I'm having. I don't get the, he doesn't get the same degree of respect and consideration that Arabella receives consistently through the show until we get to the matter of factness of nine months later and the show and the police being like, well, we're done. Can't do anything. Um, so, but at the same time, because of, I think of who Kwame, of how the show depicts Kwame and who Kwame is, the, the answer for him is outside the system, really. Um, because the show keeps putting Arabella in front of a system, whether it's her agents, the publishing house, meta, medical professionals, um, who, I mean... I, I, I completely understand where Terry is coming from about the vape. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> then if you recognize the phone is the problem. Then take the phone. Take the phone. <laughs> Terry, yeah. you know the phone is the problem. Take the phone away. Mm-hmm. Um, but also stop going to painting classes because those are clearly not helping either. But there's there's a whole other thing about coping with things and th- that the show does and the degrees to which as someone who is has struggled with a little bit of with stuff, particularly recently with coping processes. Hey, guess what? It's really easy for those coping processes not to help you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and not to do anything good for you. Um, so I think that Kwame doesn't get that kind of an outlet, which is why he keeps falling into the dating app over and over again. And why, when he actually confronts someone who's like, I made you food. He doesn't know how to deal with that. He doesn't know how to deal with that. And so arguably one of the hardest, toughest emotional things is Kwame just going, I need a hug. And it's just like. Yeah. 
like you just you just die yeah because that is something that he should have been able to express to arabella or terry and he basically has to express it to this man that he just met um who but also who cooked him all this delicious it looks so good it looks so good like it was they made you a mojito like right that takes effort and work and planning like yeah and also, it was I, it was almost very clearly a mole sauce, and a good mole sauce takes time. Yep. Like, um, and it's just like that food looks so good. <laughs> why do you not want this food? And yeah. then all the answers of why you do not want this food come rushing into my head. Yeah. Um. So I think that everything with Kwame is really good, but it's also really exposes the isolation. And the expectations that we have around gay men's gay men probably as a whole, and I don't want to speak to gay black men, um, but within that confines of how it's depicted here, yes, um, particularly like um, Terry's birthday party and everything that happens there um, with Arabella and what she does, um, which is just. Very difficult to watch. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Terry is very internal, right? So yes. we, he, the performance is, is again, really, really strong. Um, but because like, while we can watch Arabella and Terry take more action, um, Arabella is uh, the one who is the biggest, like her and her personality, she turns things outwards. A lot, and she lashes out, and she acts out. Uh, whereas Kwame pulls in, just just is is so quiet, um, and that feels very true to the character. But then, what that it's easy then for him to feel overlooked or to not get as much time um, because the because it's just it's just so internal. Um, so I, I that's another strength of the show. I think is this spectrum of reactions and approaches to like how they process their trauma in Arabella and Terry and, and Kwame. Um, so yeah, like it's just, it's really good. Just keep saying it's really good. But, um, the, the, where we've, where we start with, uh, where we start with Kwame at, at the class. Right. And then follow throughout. I, I like that the show doesn't try to, um, therapize him. Yes. And his relationship with sex, it just shows you what he's doing. It mm-hmm. doesn't try to, like, make a pass a judgment on is he overusing Grindr? Is he, like, is he, uh, is is there a, a larger issue here? It just says, shows you here's what he is doing. And, you know, you can think about why that is and how that's impacting him. Um, and, yeah, it's... It's certainly a, another really strong part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Do we have any thoughts on on uh, Arabella's piece of crap dad? Oh, that episode is just horrible. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I just I don't I don't like that episode. I don't like that episode. Um, <laughs> the, which isn't to say that it's a bad episode. It's not. It's, it's um, a good episode. It's just, it's, it's a good episode. I just don't painful. like it. Um, yeah. But I also really appreciate like the efficiency of that episode of 
this guy is terrible. Her mom is putting up with a lot of this. Her brother knows everything. Her brother has been over this shit since he was a tween. Yes, exactly. And watching him have to still deal with that at this age and having to watch Arabella still just pretend. When the um, mom says to get the blue plate, I was so pissed off. Yeah. I was like, what are um, you doing? Yeah. So, no, just horrible, horrible, horrible. And But the ways in which they very quickly like paint that and, and everything immediately works... Um, it's just real good. <laughs> I don't like the episode, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, any thoughts on our uh, our uh, stupid jerk Italian boyfriend? I, I I actually really liked the way that that went. I thought yes. it was it, it was very believable. It tracked, uh, and it also like it, it by the time by the time Arabella tells him what's happened and what's going on. Right, you des- so desperately want her to get a win. Um, yeah. That that when she doesn't from him, uh, it, it hurts even more. But it just makes it makes so much sense with every the the little we know about him. It's another part of this. We know about, all we need to know. We know everything about we him. need to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I it speaks to me just not being a great person. When when he she runs off after the you know he he shows the gun flushes the gun. I was like, take the pizza. No, no, definitely take the pizza. Um, just leave the pizza there on the like, and you know. But yeah, obviously there are more pressing concerns, clearly. But also that pizza looks really good. But it looks like it smelled really good from their conversation. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh God, Biagio is just the worst. Ugh. Yep. I hate him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything to say about Biagio aside from the fact that he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you have any other thoughts about the, the the series? I mean, other than we encourage people to check it out if you feel like you're up for it. Take your take your time. Pace yourself. Um, ugh, like, I, you know, we were talking earlier this week, listeners on Streaming Place about Lucifer Season 5, and they did a noir-inspired, like, episode. And we were just like, oh, Leslie Ann Brandt's face. <laughs> it's billed for this. Um, that's how I felt about Michaela Cole's face. <laughs> throughout this just like the way the camera lingers on her face so often and the different way that she is styled with makeup and hair and wigs um and just her she's so expressive um it's, it's just like you, you're just it's gonna be 12 episodes of watching Michaela Cole's face except for the episodes where it's not but is most of it and that's a great way to spend 12 episodes yeah, um, I think the like the one thing that is also worth noting is just the overall like look of the show. Um, mm-hmm. Cinematography is from um, is just really good, and I think that this is one of the better shows in which I've seen London, like as a city, mm-hmm. um, depicted because there is a real heavy um, reliance on like going out to bars and everything here because of like these people's age so there's this wet neon soakedness to the show um but that carries over even into like apartments um that they go to um because of like the types of lighting that they have but it just seems to like pervade a lot of different corners of the show um also see some of the stuff in italy as well um that i really like this sort of 
contemporary London sort of deal, since so much of how particularly American audiences get to see London is through period pieces. <laughs> mm. Um that or we get like a or we get something like Sherlock, or we get a cop procedural um that takes place in London that isn't that is a very specific London as opposed to London. And this is also a very specific London, but it's a different specific London than what we typically get. And I think that that's really important to note because they do a really great job of creating a sense of space in this show, um, both external and interior, ex- interior, interiorly, externally and internally. Thank you. I was just like, that is not a word. I don't know if word. that's the right word that to go is, with it. That is what I was looking for. Thank you. Um, that I think that that is really impressive as well. Um, so the, the show's just crafted with a great deal of care, I think, in every single bit of itself. Yeah, the music's um, great, too. And the music... Oh, man, Kate, the needle drops for the first. <laughs> yeah. Just really good. <laughs> just excellent. <laughs> yeah. So. So, listeners, reach out if you have seen uh, this episode. We, we, we haven't talked about it, because um, spoilers, but the finale is really great. The finale yeah. is particular, like the whole show is like here. I'm gesturing, and then the finale is like is there. The finale's like easily one of the best episodes of television I think I've watched in my life. It's really um, good, and that's really, like really setting good. up a high expectation. But I had yeah, a similar but- expectation set up for me, and I felt like it met it. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's. I think it's really good. Yeah, um, and really smart and. It's definitely one of the few finales that I can now point to and go, that's the show. Like, I don't get to do that a lot. But I can point to, like, I like this and go, this is the show. Um, like, the only other show, like, off the top of my head I can think of, and this is my example, is I can point to the Angel finale and go, that's the show. Yep. This is the show. The I May Destroy You finale is the show. So. Yep. Well, let us know if you have also watched it and what you thought about it. Um, and yeah, seek it out if you're, but only, like we said several times, only if you're up for it. That will wrap up our episode for today. Thank you everyone for listening. If you show notes here, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find our M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed over in Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate a rating or a review. It helps other people find the show and lets us know that you're listening. We're also up on uh, Stitcher with our M4A, M4A chaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews there as well. Um, and we are on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a terrific discussion this week. Thanks, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.